Well, I'm super excited to have this guy on JR off air this morning. Thanks for uh, tuning in. This guy is fantastic. Um, get to call him a friend. Uh, didn't before that because uh, he was just a legend in the sport of wakeboarding and barefooting. And his family has a long history of this, which is pretty remarkable. You're going to love this guy's story. His name is Parks Bonifay. He is a professional wakeboarder. He is a Red Bull athlete. He has been in Nitro Circus 3D. He has uh, done stunts with uh, Travis Pastrana. This guy is a stud, and I cannot wait to have him on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, JR Offair welcomes Parks Bonifay. Parks Bonifay, how are you, sir? Good, man. Good to see your face. Been a while. <laughs> Been a second, man. We gotta we gotta fix that soon. But uh, you know, I, I wanted to have you on the show because I don't think everybody knows your full story. I mean, people know Parks Bonifay as, I guess, the the pro wakeboarder, the guy you see in wakeboarding videos, and just kind of a pioneer of the sport. But take a go back to how your family really got into this, and kind of how you got introduced to, I guess, water sports in general and performing. Yeah, it's kind of a, a crazy story. It's actually been like a family tradition of the Boniface since, you know, probably since the 40s. We have footage of my grandparents skiing in like 1944 or something. And I think that it's some of the first water ski color footage in 16 millimeter there is. So it started from there. As my dad was born, he grew up water skiing and he was like, he started skiing down at Cypress Gardens in the 60s, started skiing at Disney World when it first opened. That's actually where he met my mom. My mom was a lifeguard at the Contemporary Hotel and my dad was in the ski show. So they fell in love. He taught her how to water ski. They both skied at Cypress Gardens. And then that's pretty much like when I was born in 1981, I was like literally born like right into it. I was one of the, at the time I was uh, the youngest, uh, the world's youngest water skier at six months, 29 days old. It was all like, that's incredible back in the days. Yeah. And uh, Guinness Book of World Records. So yeah, I was like literally born like right into it. That was back in 1982 too, before like child services and shit would get called. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it's, it's it, for explaining to people what Cypress gardens is too. Good for people that don't know that maybe on the West coast or whatever. Right. Cypress gardens is a place that was built in like the thirties. And it was actually one of the first like tourist attractions in Florida. And like, that's really, and it was originally, it was like a botanical uh, gardens, like right after the great depression is like right when people started to come, they would charge money for to like come onto their estates. So he built this boat tour through the canals and built this crazy, like just flowers. And it turned into it like with the, like pretty much the show ski capital, the water ski capital of the world. And they started doing show skis like in the forties and stuff. So for years, it's just been the pinnacle of progression of water skiing. And Dippo senior started that currently today it's Legoland. So it's kind of <laughs> crazy to see all the history uh, that that's gone on there. So that's awesome, man. And you're and your parents being some of the first to actually be in those shows, right? Yeah. My dad skied there in the sixties. I mean, the show's been going on since probably like the right about like world war two or so. It's like when they, they used to have a lot of soldiers come down, uh, when they would come back. So they put on ski shows for the soldiers as they come down. So that's kind of how it started. And so for years, I mean, all my dad's heroes were like shows, like cyber skirting show skiers, all my heroes when I was little, that's all I wanted to do. I feel like, I feel like that's like why I got so much better. Cause I, I was just around professional skiers all the time. So all I wanted to do is get better at barefooting, get better at skiing. So it kind of made a, it, it, it trained my mind to always like want to do what I couldn't do at the time. So you're talking about that world record you had of how old were you again? Six months, 29 days old. And that is, was, that was a world record till when? 
Uh, probably till just about recently. I think Travis, Travis Pastrana's daughter beat it by a couple of days. And then there's been even like, now there's like six month, five-year-old kids, uh, doing it. It's yeah. crazy. It's pretty cool to see. Uh, uh, yeah. And like I said, like 1982, like everyone like thought it was great. And now, I mean, a lot of people still like it today, but you know how like social media is, sure. you always have a bunch of people in the comments, just lighting them up. And I read it. It's like crazy to see just how the times have changed from 1982 to, to this crazy world we live in today. <laughs> I think it worked out for you, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You still have to battle with Twiggy the skiing squirrel. You still go to photos and see like his great, 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 great grandson, uh, still, still in the limelight. So we were, we've been like arch nemesis since like the 82. So back when you can actually remember, uh, skiing, like that's where you started with like a slalom and doing stuff like that. And were you actually in the show? Yeah. In the beginning I was the pre-show. So I was like ski baby. I would kind of go out and like, I would like ski around. My dad would come back. He would like, hold me in his arms and kind of like bounce me on stage. And then from there, like a few years later, I would like, I would ski around. And then when I learned to barefoot, I would get $2 every time I went around the show circle. I could never make it around twice, but I would, I would give her hell trying. So I would, I did that till I was about five and my mom always jokes around. She goes, then he had to retire and go to kindergarten. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I ski there till I was about five, like every day. So I kind of like grew up, uh, at Cypress gardens and yeah, it was pretty, pretty, pretty fun place. That's awesome, man. Yeah. You guys got to definitely look at some of these footage of parks, uh, doing this thing in Cypress gardens. Now tell me you go to skiing, you go to barefooting, which is extreme enough. And I know you still do that. I just saw some videos of you doing it like on a helicopter or something like that. It's, it's just yeah. pushing it, but going back, Tell me about the transition to wakeboarding. Was it scurfing first too? Well, originally it was called scurfing. Yeah. And that was kind of when it was more like a surfboard is really thick and had straps and it was really tough to do uh, flips on, on. And that's when it was kind of called scurfing. And then Herb O'Brien actually made the first compression molded uh, wakeboard. And when I say compression molded, that means it's, it's a lot stronger. It's a lot thinner. It's a lot lighter. And it's able to like cut through the water, how a water ski would. So it was able you to kind of like do tricks. And yeah, so I went from barefooting into water skiing and I competed probably from, I was about nine to I was about 12 in water skiing and, uh, and, and they caught three events. So you do slalom where you go around buoys, you do trick where you do tricks and it's called like three event. And then I would hit the jump too. And my favorite aspects of that were hitting the jump, which is all about flying and pretty much like crashing. And then trick skiing, you're all about like just doing flips and spins and stuff. So between the two, and this is before wakeboarding was like even really invented. And so as I skied and the wakeboard came about, I rode the wakeboard. I was like, man, this thing feels like it was just meant for me. It was like everything I wanted to do. You know, you could get, it was meant for getting airs, meant for doing flips. And it was a sport to where it was so young at the time. And I was one of the first juniors to where I kind of like paralleled with and grew up with wakeboarding just the timing of it and, the, and my skill set with water skiing at the time, I was able to push it from like a really young age and invent a lot of the tricks like still to today and wakeboarding that they're, they're still doing and stuff. But just a combination of when I got into the sport and like what I did before, I was able to like really get into it quick. Yeah. You know, they talk about, you know, anybody who's super successful is like timing and opportunity lining up to be perfect. And it sounds like that was exactly for you. And, you know, I, I think about, you know, you talk about that transition from skiing and I think it's just for you. I mean, skiing and wakeboarding, I feel like it's different, but for you, and if, tell me if I'm wrong, just being comfortable in the water and behind a boat, I had to be a huge advantage for you. Right. 
I mean, absolutely. I mean, as much as water skiing and, and wakeboarding can look different, like a lot of the, a lot of the physics and a lot of the techniques are, are the same. Your, your handle position and like, you, you know, just your knee bend and just mainly handle position and loading the line and learning the edge and cut and pass the handle. You learn all these things in water skiing and trick skiing and stuff. So when I was able to wakeboard, I knew exactly how to like cut really hard from slalom skiing. I knew when I started to hit rails and stuff, I was used to hitting a six foot jump going like 35 miles an hour. Right. So it felt go everything in wakeboarding felt like so much slower. And then, you know, it was just like, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but it was all kind of manifesting and kind of like prepping for a sport that I didn't know existed yet. Yeah. And when did you realize that I can make a living doing this and this is going to be something I could do for the rest of my life? Uh, well, you know, it, it's always been a dream of mine to make money from water skiing. I didn't know it was going to be on the X games and like doing nitro circus and like what it turned into. I had no idea. I mean, I couldn't have put a finger on that if I tried, but my goal, even from when I was five years old, I mean, I just wanted to ski at Cypress gardens. I wanted to ski there every day and get paid to water ski in front of like a bunch of people. And then when I, when I started water skiing, uh, and three of them in competing, I was like, man, I want to get on tour. I want to compete with these dudes. And then when wakeboarding came about, it was, it was the same mindset. I just wanted to get on tour. And then I went pro when I was 14 years old. Uh, and I was a freshman in high school. So that was like, kind of like when I turned wow. pro and really started to travel and I won the X games that year, I won the tour that year. And so wow. it, it all, it all hit, hit really fast and quick. Was that the rookie year of the tour too? It was when you got on it. That wasn't the rookie. That was my rookie year on tour. The tour has been out probably since 91 or 92 and I got on in 96. Okay. So there's probably like five years of tour before I got on. Wow. And you're like, man, this is, this is crazy. I'm a freshman in high school. I'm just learning where my locker is for crying out loud. And now I'm way <laughs> yeah, exactly. games. I forget. I would forget where my, where my locker and where homeroom home room was all the time. Yeah. Did you end up yeah. going to be uh, homeschooled? Cause you had to travel so much. I mean, how did you, you know, do that? No, I actually, uh, I, I went to high school and made it to about halfway through my senior year. And I was just traveling so much. It was like, it kind of just snowballed freshman to sophomore to junior. I just started traveling, traveling more and more and more. And then halfway through my 12th grade year, I was like hardly the first part of the year. I was like hardly over there. I was like almost too far to get that year back. So I ended up getting my GED, uh, on that one. And then, so I, I was, I was really close, but it was, but the best part about high school was, is that I had a, I had a co-op program okay. in the morning. I told them that I had all these photo shoots that I had to do. Sometimes I did, but I had told them I had photo shoots to do early in the morning. So I got to sleep in for the first two periods. I, all my friends got to high school at like seven fifteen. I, I rolled into school like ten fifteen. hair dry. They're yeah. like, I thought you had a photo shoot to do this morning. <laughs> <laughs> There's a good message for the kids I, I, out there. I was, all I, I, I was all I did. I didn't fall. Yeah, exactly, man. Um, you know, I talk about going to high school and being a pro athlete. I mean, what was that like walking in there and, and people probably saw you or heard about you on the weekend and then you show up on Monday. You're like, yeah, I just won a contest or I just won X games. What was that like as a kid? Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Uh, it was a, it was, it was wild. I, you know, it was, it was as cool as it sounded. I went to high, I went to high school with Tracy McGrady too. So he kind of <laughs> took the, he took the, he took the limelight of going pro and making a lot of money and buying the, the baddest car in high yeah. school. That's awesome. <laughs> well, that's kind of tough because when you go to school, yeah, Tracy was, McGrady, you're like, what do I got to do to get famous camera, around here? <laughs> Very cool. Armadale High School, Bloodhounds. What's up, baby? Yeah, there you go. Um, you know, talk about you know, making a living and talk about like when sponsors started coming into your life and how that works and how you pick the right sponsors. I know you're wearing your Red Bull, and that's how I kind of 
I, I totally, every time I see Red Bull, I associate you with it. Travis Pastrana, the Ryan Shecklers of the world and that. How does that go in? How do you pick the guys? Is it the highest bidder? Is it the people that fit you the most? I mean, you know, honestly, if someone comes to you and you're a 14 year old kid, what do you say? Um, well, yeah, it was, it was definitely, uh, something I've never really dealt with as a 14 year old. Uh, you had a lot of sponsors, but you know, what? I, there's a, there was a set of sponsors that I kind of wanted from when I was like, even my dad would make me Oakley st- before I was sponsored by Oakley or no fear. My, I, my dad would make me bootleg stickers. So they were like just <laughs> super off brand, but I had Oakley stickers and no fear stickers. And I was like, this is before I was sponsored. I would just right. put them on my board just because that's what I wanted. And, and then, yeah, when they, I actually did get to ride for Oakley and I had the real no fear stickers on it. It was, uh, it's pretty crazy, but you know, I get that. I get asked that question a lot. It's like from parents are like, how do you get your, my son sponsored? He rides all the time and stuff and doing all this. And it's like, I mean, there's always a bunch of different ways of going about it. But one thing I've always tried to say is like, you know, you gotta, you gotta have fun first. If you take the, it sounds cliche, but if you like quit you quit doing it for the fun, then you quit riding over time. And when you quit riding, then you fall out of love with it and you don't get any better. So you have to like, keep it entertaining. And a lot of parents like really have a lot of control and a lot of like, they kind of put a lot of pressure on them at tournaments. And there's a lot of outside variables that always kind of like weigh in, but you know, and in, in, in my case, I've always tried to like, keep my sponsors like long-term you can always chase the next highest dollar, but this industry is really small and there's not a lot of like, not a lot of avenues, not a lot of bridges to burn. So I've always tried to like keep my family, like my sponsors, like family, you know, I've been with Ronix and the people who started Ronix for, you know, about 20, 22 years now I've been with Red Bull just, just this year is now 20 years oh, wow. and MasterCraft, you know, about 20 years. So it's been, I try to keep the, the sponsors close and, try to, because it, it becomes more of a relationship like that. It doesn't feel like a sponsor. If you can keep them and get it like that, then you can kind of get get in an, in a different way that feels different and it makes your motives uh, pure and more authentic. Would you say like, you know, talking about not chasing the dollar and not, you know, necessarily seeking sponsors. I know that's the goal and that helps you finance what you want to do, but having, I'm not a great businessman either. So, so let me, let me, let me just add that. <laughs> no, no, but I would say this is, um, the guys that you see that are sponsored, uh, and, and with these big sponsors have their own style. Like you have a style, uh, let's, let, um, you know, other guys, Danny has a style in this business is that that's what you get from having fun out there. And that's what probably draws sponsors. Like, Hey, this guy just does it kind of his own way. I like to slap our logo on this. Is that kind of where it comes from? Yeah, a hundred percent. I think you can see right through the dudes who do it authentic and the do the guys who overdo it. Some people just get the new CBD thing and they throw it up and they're like, Hey, swipe up, I'll pop up, put my promotion on in. And I think that, you know, the, you know, the world's not dumb. You see enough social media to where you can see what's kind of like true and authentic. And that's what I try to like strive to, or at least mine is just try to get involved with the sponsors and the product that I like truly believe in and try to showcase it and do it in a way that's like at least different. And yeah. And I think like through wakeboarding, you know, you gotta, that's the, that's how your career kind of gets like, kind of like drawn out and kind of like in, 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 extended is if you can like, if you can show that you yeah, like, that this is your life and this is a true lifestyle and you truly do live it. And like, you become like, you know, you have a little bit more personality because when your contest career runs up and you blow a couple of knees and all of a sudden the next youngest kid will come in and start slapping you up. And believe me, it always does. I see it <laughs> year after year, you gotta have something to fall back on. So that's why you gotta try to, you know, just have fun with it and just be pure, authentic about it and try to meet and try to get influences from as many people as you can. You know, when X games, when wakeboarding got kicked out of the X games, 
uh, in 2005, it was when it went live. Uh, a lot of the wakeboarders quit going out to LA and stuff. And I would go out there. I would still go to all the parties, go to all the events. And that's where I became like good friends with Pastrana and some of these dudes and made relationship and contacts and got to do like Nitro Circus and became really good friends with a lot of people on a lot of the part of the industry that I probably wouldn't have like come uh, cross paths with. So, you know, it's just, yeah. if you really love it and you, you're into it, you know, it, it, it can happen. I definitely want to talk about the Pastrana relationship and the, the, uh, the Nitro Circus, but going back to the X games, was there, I, I know like, and this is not to make this about me, but like, I know in my radio career, sometimes if I'm interviewing somebody, um, or I know when I first met you, you were a guy that I only saw in videos and I'm like, it was at Cowboys Orlando. And I saw, <laughs> I was like, Parks, what's up, dude? And you're like, what up? And then we got to start talking and kind of made a little friendship there. But, um, I don't, and I don't, I, I guess, did you have any moments where you're in the X games or you realize you're traveling so much and you're living, you're making a living and you're getting sponsors. Do you have any out of body experiences when you're 14 years old going, Oh my God, this is a real thing. Or was it just happening so fast that it was just, that's my life. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it does. It happens really fast. So I don't think it really happens as much. It's, it's kind of happened more like almost later to like think back and it's like, you just kind of just scratch your head and it's like, man, it's freaking crazy that I was right. like, you know, in those scenarios and that young, you know, it's like, you know, I, I didn't really seem that young at the time. Like you, when you're in the present, but thinking back, like, you know, I'm turning 40 this like in September 30th, just some two. But yeah, it's, 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 so it's, it's crazy. It's crazy to think back how young I was and what I was doing at the time. And uh, yeah. And where the sport was and it's, wouldn't change a thing. When you first got in, was Shapiro the guy? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Shapiro was like my idol growing up. Like he was really one of the, you know, I didn't get to ride with him as much. I really rode with like Zane Schwenk and Dave Briscoe and a lot of the guys that are like from Winter Haven and stuff. Cause I grew up in uh, Lake Alfred in Polk County. And, uh, but yeah, Shapiro was the one that I always, he always went the biggest. He is the one that I wanted to beat. He is the one that I wanted to ride against and be standing next to on the dock. So, uh, and we battled for years, man. Yeah. We had a great ride. How, how was that? You know, being a young kid were these guys that have been in the business a little bit, like, were they welcoming to you? I know I'm sure like now you guys have great relationships. When you first got in there, did you feel welcoming in this community or was it like, uh, Hey, dude, yeah, go yeah. ahead, kid. For sure. They, they were like my biggest, they're like my big brothers, man. Yeah. They would just like, cause I couldn't, you know, and this is before there's a lot of other kids on tour. So I was the only one. So, you know, they would always like, uh, obviously take care of hotel rooms and like be the chaperone kind of thing, which is scary to think that those guys were, my chaperone. <laughs> you know, but then they ended up like, like sneak, figuring out how to sneak me in the bars and stuff and use an X game passes. One year we took burnt cork and put a goatee on me and dressed me up in like their, all their clothes and stuff and just dragged me out with them. So yeah, I was in the thick of it from a young age and, that was a good and time. Uh, yeah, I got roasted and, and heckled pretty good uh, and just awesome. uh, slightly tortured. You know, kids, remember, kids nowadays have it easy. Let's just say that. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I remember being out on out in Claremont with your neighbor Danny Harf, also an amazing writer and one of your uh, best friends. Um, yep. He was telling me one time that there's a lot, there's some fun trash talk on the dock. Uh, I think one of the things he said is someone leaned in him one time. He goes, "Hey, do you ever uh, right as Danny's about to take off? He goes, do you ever close your eyes when you do your your flips or whatever? Right before Danny's about to get off the dock, some of that trash talk. Do you have any good stories like that?" 
Oh yeah, but mainly that was Murray. Murray Murray would always come in and kind of like just just he always did it in a good joking way. And it's crazy to think that we would joke with each, with each other so much because the kids nowadays have headphones on and they're just like doing their own thing. Right. But yeah, every time Murray would leave the dock, we would do this to each other. We would just slap each other in the back, like really, really hard, right as you're leaving, like you're in the zone. Or they would be cutting in for tricks and we would like yell out the trick that they're about to do. To oh, like, make it. like we would really try to get in. If you did it today, the kids would be livid that you were right. messing with them but yeah we would always what was another one they would do oh do you uh when you do your when you do your heel seven do you inhale or exhale <laughs> yeah, or like, you know it's like it's just the cool yeah the, so we did, the mind a game a lot of that i love but it was that. i was back in the that was back when the tour was a little looser you know you could go out at night and kind of go out till two and not have to like and everyone was kind of doing that now that nowadays half the kids can't even get in the bars because they're so young and now everyone else in the tour is probably only like 22 23 24 so it's like the and they're all competitive they're, they train all the time they ride multiple times a day going to the gym so to actually be to beat these kids you have to kind of like be on that level so there's not a lot of room for slacking around like kind of like how, how we were yeah, but you guys are still doing amazing things and people are still chasing. Oh, we had a lot more fun, I guarantee you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, you know, you team up with Red Bull and, you know, people look at Red Bull and the, the, the brand that is and the global brand that is now. What is something, when you have that meeting with Red Bull, what are they saying to you? What are they expecting of you? And does that pressure on you? I mean, Red Bull is a unique one. Yeah, I mean, they don't really... I've been with Red Bull 20 years now, so I've got to really grow with the company and like... I mean, Red Bull does this better than anyone. Like the, as the times change and like social media or whatever it is, like they, they evolve and they kind of like restructure their company. So I've had like a, a, a bunch of kind of like different bosses and kind of like, and just the way that stuff gets done there. And it's really, and, and it's been insane because every, everything that I wanted to do progression wise, like they fully backed, like if, they, if, if anything, they really changed the way I think as like, not just a wakeboarder, but like as a, you know, as a person, like, like they've, told me to like, or at least taught me to like, think of anything and we have the resources to back it up. And sometimes that would like, you know, I would come up with an idea. They're like, yeah, let's make it happen. So I'm like, Oh shit. Now I really got to do like face <laughs> jump with a, like from a helicopter with my wakeboard or something. So, you know, and that's been the best part about it, whether it was sliding icebergs or going to Tahiti and like riding waves down there, or we've done tournaments where we wakeboard in caves. Like we've done the weirdest stuff with Red Bull. I say, if I ever have kids, like the, the best stories I'm going to ever tell them are the Red Bull trips and stuff that I went on. So they're, in, they're an insane company to be involved with. And like pretty much anything you dream up, uh, they make happen. And that's what I tell young Red Bull riders today. Cause a lot of them, as soon as you get the Red Bull helmet, they think that they've kind of like made it. And that is a big milestone. Getting the Red Bull helmet is a big one, but it really, it just started from there because now, I mean, the world's your oyster. They literally have assets and kind of like anything resources of anywhere across the globe that you can do anything that you want to, that you can think of. I think a good example of that is when Sean White wanted his, you know, private half pipe or whatever, you know, that was hidden up there when he's training. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's cool. Yeah. For the last part of my documentary, I wanted to wakeboard behind a helicopter and then get towed up to like a thousand feet and then face (laughs) jump down. And so like, they kind of like, they kind of put that together and kind of helped me get certified in skydiving. I had to learn how to skydive and kind of practice for this stuff. And, uh, uh yeah, I mean, got to ride a blue angels jets drive uh, F1 cars. I'm going to yeah. barefoot behind an F1 car for a, a commercial for, uh, 
the Miami F1 coming down there this That's year. Sweet man. Let's go. Cool. I love that. Yeah. I just saw the helicopter one that you did. How long ago was that? That was just a couple few weeks ago. Okay. And what's yeah, the challenge? Probably three, three weeks, probably three weeks ago. Okay. Three or four weeks ago. And you dropped that one up. You're like, let's just see if I can barefoot behind a helicopter. How did that come about? We always, we always film up there and, uh, that's our, that's our, our, so there's a, he always comes up there and flies the chopper and he would always film us. And we actually did that same thing about 10 years ago, 12 years ago. This is like probably right before like Instagram kind of came out. And so we did it and I was like, man, we got to nowadays with social, I was like, we got to redo this again. People are going to trip. So he took me down there and like, you didn't see the first part of the video. I go, Hey, just pick me up like 20 feet and swoop me down to the water and start ripping. He goes, yeah, yeah. Picks me up. I'm like 45 feet over like ground. And then he's just slowly going over. Now I'm like over these shallow rocks and my hands are like getting like starting to get tired. So I like throw my leg up and then he just swoops down with all the speed and we were going way faster. I was probably going like 65, probably like when I first put my feet down. Right. Oh, and my man. hands got to the end. We were supposed to go around the Island and I was going to try to hang on, but I was like, man, if I hang on right now, I'm going to pop it and just like sling into onto the grass. So <laughs> I, I flipped up the red button and hit the abort switch. Real quick. Yeah. Awesome, man. Um, you know, I, I think you talked about earlier about your, you know, your knees get older and you got to kind of have to change, I guess, change your goals as a rider. Right. I mean, you know, when you stop competing and you know, you've done a lot of Red Bull announcing and, and commentary for, for, um, for tournaments and stuff like that. Like where, how do you realign your career, your goals now for what you want to do and still be impactful in the sport of wakeboarding? Yeah. I mean, wakeboarding is just something that I've like obviously grown up with and come to love, but I've also been fortunate now I'm part owners in Ronich wakeboard. So I've gotten to see like a lot of different sides of, of wakeboarding and kind of be involved with it on a lot of different levels, especially as I'm getting older and my knees, uh, kind of aren't as good. And I don't get to ride as much or as compete. Uh, but you know, that's why I'm like, I've been like flying a lot of drone. I've been doing a lot of editing. Uh, I do a lot of like concept stuff for like Red Bull and stuff and coming up with ideas and just not for myself, but like for other riders and kind of helping these, uh, go along. And so I've been trying to just like get involved on and get on the other side of the camera and kind of just like, just try to be creative and kind of just keep on evolving Can't, and, and mainly just having fun with it. And then you can't like, I can't hit double ups all the time. I can't do double flips as much anymore. Although I did make one first try a few weeks ago. So, uh, you posted it, didn't you? Yeah. You know, old dog still got it every now and then. I, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I can't say I do it again, but, uh, yeah, you just gotta try to stay moving. Actually I'm doing a double or nothing. Uh, a Red Bull would help me put it on this contest. Like I think we've done it seven times before we did it last year. And uh, we're doing it again this year, live downtown Orlando, uh, September 12th on, uh, on Lake Ivanhoe. So we're going to have yeah. like 16 riders out there. And this is a contest that I put on with rebel. So we're going to, we're going to do live web, uh, like live webcasts. And then we're gonna have people down there checking out live. So you got to get down there. Come on. Yeah, I'll, I'll come up. I'll come up for sure. Absolutely. Um, you know, I was thinking about, uh, going out on, on the boat with you guys, you and uh, Danny and being like, yeah, yeah, i you know, I didn't think I was going to be good, but I was like, yeah, I could wakeboard. And I think Danny did like his warm up run. I go, you know, I'm just going to stay in the boat. Like it's just, yeah, such yeah, a yeah, yeah you're not, you're, you're not by yourself on that one. Not, no one wants to wakeboard after Danny Harf does. You're, you're better off wake surfing after Danny. Goes yeah. <laughs> I think that's what we did. <laughs> I, think that's what we did. Yeah, I was right there with you. <laughs> hey, so let's go into this nitro circus. You know, you talk about becoming friends with Pastrana who like you all of a sudden, he's just kind of this kid out of nowhere. That's not the dude that's sleeved out tattooed. He's not, you know, the crusty demons guy, even though he rode with a lot of those guys and, and kind of earned their respect in a lot of ways. But 
you know, tell me about that relationship, how you guys come together and then how you go, all right, I'm going to kind of get into their world a little bit and get crazy extreme. Cause I just watched nitro circus, uh, 3d not too long ago. And I saw right. you in there, you were in there a ton and doing stuff. And I was like, dude, this is a, this is a different level. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I met Travis through the X games when he would like jump his bike into, into the San Francisco Bay. And a lot of that time when he was probably like 15, 16 years old. So that's when I met him. And then, like I said, when wakeboarding got kicked out of the X games, I would still go out there. And that's when I got to hang with Travis like a little bit more. We were both sponsored by no fear at the time. And, uh, and yeah, so that's kind of like where we became friends. And then nitro circus really just turned into you know, something huge. It was kind of, they just started making small videos in the beginning. And then, uh, the director, uh, Jeff Tremaine of Jackass, he was the one who produced their MTV show. And so that anytime they had like water, some pool stuff involved, they would always, uh, they would always hit me up. So we'd go down to Panama. I filmed for like three episodes, uh, with them down there. And then that's where we filmed like a lot of the 3d stuff and a lot of the, like the angry birds and yeah. And like, and that's, uh, and that's kind of like how I met Jeff Tremaine and that's how I got to like film with Jackass too. Right. Because that kind of spiraled into that. I became, they're all, the Jackass crews, like not just the crew, like not just the, the, uh, the not just all the, well, yeah, just not the actors, but the sound crew, like everyone about it is like a really small knit family. So I became really good friends with all of them there and been fortunate enough to get to, uh, not only shoot with nitro and, and for 3d, but I get to do some jackass stuff too. And I actually just filmed with them in December, uh, for jackass four. So, uh, oh, I think, yeah, I think my shot made the credits. Oh, very so cool. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I think it comes out February 4th. Nice. Very nice. Um, and I think I feel like that would be, and I've never been on a set with those guys, but I feel like if you show up, you're an athlete, you can't say no to some trick they're going to do, right? Like you're in. I mean, they're not, yeah, they're not bringing me on set for my brown eyes. Let's just say that you're pretty much fresh meat. So, you know, whether it's nitro or jackass, you're pretty much in for the ride and you never really, sometimes you can read what you're doing the next day on like a, like a, like a, like a little list, but like you never, that's in black and white. When you see how big some of these jumps are and like the chopper flop thing that we did, like when I slid down the big kicker, uh, the sharks Bonifay thing, like that was just like, I mean, I, I kind of helped them like that, that idea. And then it just like, they made it so much bigger, so much faster. <laughs> You're like, I didn't so draw it like this. So much scarier than I thought. Yeah. Like I pretty much belly flopped on that one. It blew the vest out the side. Like I was like, it, my wrist still hurts to this day from that thing. It felt like I was going to be like peeing blood or something. Like I seriously thought I had like some like internal bleeding or something. I like hit So pretty much belly flopped from like 65 feet up. Were you guys not in Panama? I don't, I don't, maybe I remember this wrong, but remember in Panama, was it not, you guys went there for a reason because they wouldn't let you do some of those things in the States. Was that, was that real? Yeah. I mean, that, yeah, for, for sure. Like a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that like you can, you don't have to get like the same permits and stuff that you have to, uh, to do that, that happens in the United States. Like almost like that chopper, the wakeboard chopper based thing. We tried to do that all over in the United States and no chopper pilot wanted to like tow a wakeboarder and then do that and have it on camera. So it was like between those two things, we had to go down where the, the laws are a little, little freer. Oh, little place man. called Panama. Little <laughs> place called Panama. What happens if Panama stays there unless you film it, right? Unless you film it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, I was looking at some of those things in Panama. I mean, has there ever been, can you think of a time where you've been with the nitro guys where you go, I, I can't believe someone's even attempting this where you maybe were not in it and you're just like, this is, yeah, this is I mean, a, a lot of the 
hydro skim things like that they would always do. Like I, I, if you watch Nitro 3D, like uh, Jim does it first. And, and that was the scariest thing because you're looking at this pool that he has to go through. It was like a 60, 70 feet of pool and with no run into like you had to be like a legit Travis Pastrana caliber motocrosser to like even get the turns right to probably even get to about 75 where they had to go to even skim. So and Jim's bike's way heavier and I just didn't have a good feeling for Jim from the start. And then he just comes through endos and then he ended up surviving somehow. And then Travis comes through and just rips it, drops down, drops down again off the rocks and just rides off into the ocean. Just like, yeah. Pastrana style. He's like, he's messed up, dude. He's like, I was just saying to someone the other other day, I go, if you don't mention Travis Pastrana and like Muhammad Ali or like Michael Jordan or Woods or Kelly Slater, like you're just twisted. Like this kid is, he's, he's so messed up, dude. And he still to this day goes harder than anyone. Like the, literally his family and doctors have to hold him back. Like, yeah, exactly, dude. I mean, I, I, um, I remember that scene you're talking about when they were guys skimming across the pool and you know, there's skill involved obviously. Cause you know, but even Jim, you look at this big set and these cameras everywhere and these, you know, 3d cameras. And then what saved him was a couple pool floats that were protecting the edge. I mean, that's what he fell on. I go, wait a minute. That's all we got to help this guy. Uh-huh. out. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. And that, that's what Travis is really good at. He can look as, as loose and as like, just from the hip as Travis Pastrin like seems he's really calculated. He has a risk to reward system that like he can like, he takes all the variables into consideration. He had the, the reason why Jim was saved on that one is because Travis had the idea of putting like an underwater ramp that would have like that. And that's like right where he crashed into. And that's what kind of pushed him up onto the concrete. But Travis, you know, as loose as, as crazy as he seems, he's very smart, very well calculated and very, uh, a lot more on his game than it probably can appear from the surface. So what's next, man? I know we're talking music now. So, uh, are we just something we're really chasing? I don't know. It's something I've always just done for fun and just always like wrote songs like in, from life experiences that I've just kind of like had through, uh, through my day. So, uh, I've always just, like, we go up to uh, like radar Lake, which is a lake that we have up in, uh, in Seattle, Washington is like a company. And so we I play a lot of these songs like around the campfire and really just around my house. And so I've never really played it like, anywhere or like really even recorded it. So I was, I, I called it, I fortunately I've been, uh, uh, had the pleasure of becoming friends with Jake Owen cause he's in the wakeboarding. So I went up there and stayed on the houseboat. We've got to ride wake surf and play guitars and stuff with him. So I hit him up. I was like, man, I'm going to record some of these songs. What do you think I should do? And he was like, dude, come up to Nashville and record. I'll get a studio and record for a couple of days with like my band. I was like, <laughs> I was like, really? So yeah, right before COVID in January, I went up there and we, we cut like uh, six songs. So I'm trying to, well, I'm trying to figure out how to get them on Spotify. So I think we're, I've been, pro, I've been dragging my feet trying to do, I don't not doing a, or trying to figure out doing a music video. I'm just, I don't know. I just want to put it on Spotify and just get it out there. It's nothing I've really taken too serious when I write it. So I'm not really expecting, or I just wanted to be out there and just have for fun. People can jam it if they want to. Absolutely. Uh, you talk about, um, you know, where wakeboarding is going. I mean, think about, I'd love to hear what you think about the boats these days versus what you were behind back in the day. I mean, when you were behind, I feel like the boom was in the middle. Like that was like the first boom before the tower and all that. Like talk about the technology uh, that goes into boats now versus what you had. 
I mean, yeah, it's just, yeah, just not the boats, but the wakeboards, like everything was like the, the bindings were a lot sketchier, you know, you could like mess your ankles up a lot. The boards were smaller. They were a lot heavier. And then, yeah, like you said, the boats were even like, is the biggest thing that changed because when I started, it was pretty much, they didn't make wakeboard boats. They only had ski boats. So we would have to put like coolers full of weight and stuff and like try to weight them down as much as we could. And these wakes were only, you know, the size of a laptop at the time. So it's like, you know, and the rope was a lot smaller. So as wakeboarding became more of a thing and it just wasn't kind of just like a, you know, like a novelty and it became a real sport and these boat companies saw that, you know, they could make money and they changed the way they started to make boats, you know, tip to tail, top to bottom, they were for wakeboarding. So they got bigger, they got wider, the holes got deeper. You could add more uh, compartments to put weight and stuff. And so the boats uh, just changed and with long as long and when the boats get bigger, the wakes get bigger not only do they get taller, but they get longer. So the double ups get bigger and it just changes the sport. You can kind of see, and, uh, like as the boats change, you can see the progression level and kind of spike when, uh, on what kind of tricks were being done. So the boats definitely have dictated, uh, the way, you know, the way wakeboarding progresses. And when I was 14 and 12, yeah, you, you know, I only had the small boats. I wish today I had the big boats. If I, I wish I had like, if I was 15 and had the size wakes and like the technology, I would love to, uh, I would love to see what little old me would do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. That'd be, that'd be awesome. Um, I'll, I'll let you go because I, I love talking to you, bro. I hope to see you soon and we get together, man. I got to come up to Orlando or vice versa, come down here to Tampa. We're too close. Yeah, we're too close, man. Yeah, for sure. Um, where do you see uh, wakeboarding? I know wake surfing is becoming bigger and bigger. I know it's easier on the body, so people dig that. Um, but where do you see wakeboarding at? Because you still guys, you got guys like Steel, you got guys like Rusty um, and uh, um, Harley doing their thing still. Those are the kinds of guys that come to my, to my yeah, mind. Really, really, really. And those dudes, they, they can't even make a finals nowadays. Really? That's how, that, how the, that's how far the sports come along. You know, it's like, I mean, yeah, there's a whole list of names that like, you probably wouldn't even recognize some young, good Australians like Sam Brown, Luca kid, Tyler, I Mossy Pepperati is like a really good, uh, like he's from Italy and he's like really fun to watch. Dude, we took, uh, Mossy, yeah. we took Mossy to a truck pole. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was yeah, like, what's yeah, going yeah. on here, man? Yeah, you got a good dose of America right there. <laughs> In a parking lot, just trucks pulling each other. But what's the black smoke coming out the top of it? <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. That was a good night. Um, but yeah, just, yeah. I mean, where do you see, I mean, do you see wakeboarding maybe getting back into the X Games? As now we see skateboarding in the Olympics and stuff, stuff like this. Yeah, you know, you never know. Wakeboarding, it, it's, over time, wakeboarding's grown in a bunch of different directions. You know, there's the boat side of it, which is like, it's more of the traditional, the way it started. But then uh, over time, like we they, they've created cables. So where you can go and like, you've probably seen them, but they're like, do laps around or even cables that go system 2.0. So where they go straight down and back. And what that done is it, it just changed the way, because you don't have to have a, a $200,000 wakeboard boat. Uh, to go wakeboard, you know, you can, your mom can drop a pack of kids off at the cable and pick them up in a few, four hours or later that day or whatever. So wakeboarding's uh, definitely growing in a lot of different areas and it's really big, like cable riding and hitting rails is really big in Europe and it's getting even bigger in the United States. I think there's probably 50, 60 cables now in the United States to where 20 years ago, there was probably only like five, you know? Right. So it's definitely, and now you got foiling and stuff and like wake oh, surfing thing. Foiling's pretty crazy. We actually, uh, we actually went to Galveston, Texas and we did, uh, if you want to look it up on YouTube, the Texas tanker boys, but we go and we, uh, 
we, we get this app and we know when the big tanker ships and we can find the biggest ones, the ones that are going fast and sit in the deepest and we'll go out there on jet skis and foils. And these things come in and out of port, probably, probably 10, 12 a day, every day, the surf is always up in Galveston and this thing's just, and they're like five, six foot waves that you can ride for like 20 minutes at a time. Brian Grubb rode away for like, I think like eight miles and took him wow. like 20 minutes in the foil. And he's just cruising, not barely, not even pumping or anything. Wow. It is fascinating. It's pretty cool to watch. So it's, uh, it's pretty crazy. I saw, I think I saw Jamie O'Brien do it. Were you with him down there doing that? No, he did it. Yeah. He did it at a couple spots before us and he did it on a surfboard. That, boy, that wave is really, I mean, as, as fun as it is to surf it, it's really a foil. It's a foil wave because yeah. it doesn't have a lot of power, but you don't need a lot of power for a foil because there's no drag. So it kind of just like cuts through the water with ease. Love it, dude. Well, listen, man, I appreciate you uh, coming on. It's so good to see your yeah, face. Thanks for thinking of me, man. Good talking to you, man. Absolutely, bro. I will see you soon in person. I promise you that. And uh, maybe I'll come up for the event. Let's go. September 12th. I got you, brother. Appreciate you, man. Later, Derek. Later. See you, bud.